The Bible reading is from Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 7 to 22. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord... The God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together as we stand. Almighty Father, as we come to uh, your word, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would speak clearly to us. And above all, Will you uh, tell us your name and help us know what that means? We want to know you, not just from a distance, but right up close. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. And uh, it's helpful if you uh, turn back to page 7. Down at verse 18, somehow the name the Lord uh, fell out of the reading, which is kind of fun, but just put it back in because it's important. Um, We are continuing our series in the book of Exodus, and um, 
And, you know, you might not be surprised if you're familiar with the story of Exodus for me to say that the book of Exodus is a story of revolution. Uh, like I said, if you know the story, Israel is enslaved in Egypt. And Egypt is a great superpower of the day. But despite that, there's a great reversal that happens in this book. Um, Egypt and all its power is thrown down. And Israel, despite their weakness, goes free. Uh, it's a story of revolution. However, one of the things that we've begun to see and that we will see more today and as the story unfolds is that the political liberation uh, is built, so to speak, on a deeper uh, revolution. Before any of the political action takes place, there is a deeper and more fundamental revolution that drives absolutely everything else in this story. And, and here's what uh, the revolution is. It, we've just read it. It's in our reading. The revolution that drives the bigger liberation of this story is God tells Moses his name. Now, does that sound revolutionary? Of course it doesn't sound revolutionary. I don't think, does it? It doesn't to me. But nevertheless, um, if it doesn't sound that way, it doesn't to me, nevertheless, we're all wrong. Here's why. If you could sit down with Moses, imagine like a, a post-game debrief with Moses. Um, after the exodus, if you could sit down with Moses and say, and say to Moses, or yeah, Moses, uh, Moses, what is it that made you do it? Um, what motivated you, Moses? To stand up to the greatest superpower of your day, what made you do it? I think, according to Exodus, Moses would say something like this. I think he would say something like, um, wow, that's a big question, what made me do it? But I can give you a clear answer. The Lord told me his name, and that changed everything. Because before I knew, it's as if Moses would say, before I knew the Lord's name, I was a failed revolutionary and a forgettable shepherd. But then after God told me his name, I ended up the Lord's prophet. His name changed everything. And before we learned God's name, my whole nation groaned under the weight of Egypt's slavery. But then we learned God's name, and we became his people, and he led us to freedom that we could not achieve ourselves. Everything happened when we learned his name. The revolution at the heart of Exodus, this is what I want you to see, is the revelation of God's name. And it is also, I want you to see, uh, the revolution uh, that is right at the heart of the Christian life. Let me ask a random question that doesn't seem like it relates to anything. Um, don't raise your hand. How many of us struggle, don't raise your hand, with questions, who am I? Identity. Who am I? Who am I really? And then how many of us, don't raise your hand, struggle with the questions of vocation? Who am I and what am I supposed to be doing? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to be spending my life on? Now, a lot of us think that we're the only ones that struggle with those questions. It ends up, just to make you feel better, everybody does. Um, but Exodus comes with these deep questions that all of us have. And Exodus says, um, if you want to understand those questions, ask a deeper question first. 
And the deeper question we need to ask first, before we ask questions of identity and vocation, ask the deeper question of, unexpectedly, what is God's name? Because that question revolutionizes all the other questions. Now, I know nobody thinks I'm right yet, but let's go into the reading and let's see. Let me set the context just a little bit. Um, we are right now interrupting a conversation that we started last week. So God and Moses are um, in the middle of the conversation that ends up co-opting Moses' life. They're gathered around the burning bush, a little bit like a campfire. And Moses, at this point, really doesn't know God in any meaningful way. He's not looking for God. But nevertheless, we saw this last week, God chases Moses down. And here they are speaking. And God says, verse 10, Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, pause. And just remember how bonkers that statement is. Remember Moses' story. Moses knows that this is crazy. Moses already tried this 40 years prior. Do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about this? Moses, when he was a part of the court, so to speak, of Egypt, right in the heart of everything, he tried to start something of a revolution. But he failed, and he failed miserably. He had to run into exile, and he spent 40 years as a shepherd. Moses knows, right down to the core of his being, his story tells him that facing Pharaoh is a bad idea. That's just a ship that doesn't sail. That's an identity and a vocation that Moses has tried and had opted out of. But nevertheless, verse 12, God says, yeah, I know how it went before, but it'll be different this time because this time I'm going to go with you. Now, this is where we need to slow down and look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? What's your name, God? And what's your real name? Now, um, we're, we're going to find out who all the real geeks are here right now. Do you remember Treebeard from The Lord of the Rings? Right? Everybody snickering is thinking that the person next to you knows, and they're the, the, the geek. But anyways, all, we're all geeks here. It's, a, it's fine. Um, Treebeard in The Lord of the Rings, in the book, not the movie, totally different. But anyways, he says, he's kind of like a walking tree, talking tree, things like that. In the book, he says this. He says, my name is growing all the time. I have lived a long, long, long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of the thing they belong to. Now catch that last line, because Treebeard is just a short name. His real name is too long for anybody to say. Because real names tell the story of the thing they belong to. Now that's how God's name works in the Bible. And that's why God's name is so important. It encapsulates his identity and his vocation all within his name. 
Now keep that in mind, you can come back to Moses. When Moses says, what's your name, he's not just saying, you know, what's your verbal label that I can use when I go back to my people. He's saying something stronger. He's saying, tell me your identity with God and tell me your vocation. Who are you and what are you about? Give me an insight into your inner character. Tell me something of the story that says who you are. It's as if Moses says, I don't hitchhike with strangers and I don't follow strange gods into Egypt, so tell me, what is your name? And then verse 14. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, watch this closely. Look at verse 14 and 15. Do you see um, God says his name is I am, which is kind of funny. And then verse 15, do you see the word Lord in all capital letters? Lord, in all capital letters, is the verb I am modified into a name. And it's one of the most common names for God all through the Old Testament. And it's the name that only Israel ever used for God. And it's full of meaning. And the reason it's full of meaning is that it's a real name. Real names tell you the story of the things that they belong to. And that means that if you want to really understand the name Lord, I am, the meaning of the name of God in the Bible, you would have to take the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, all that God promises and all that God does and all that God says and all that happens through all that God says and does and promises and take all that giant story and compress it and squeeze it and fit it into the name I am. And then you would understand the meaning of that name. But we don't have time to do all that, so we can think of it this way. It's as if God says to Moses, do you want to know who I am, Moses? Well, let me be frank. It's as if God says, I am precisely who I am. Which means at least, it's as if he says, Moses, I am not who you think I am. And I am not governed by your expectations. Moses, I am not the imaginary projection of your highest value. That's what a lot of people think that God is, but that's not who I am. Moses, I was before you were, and I will be long after you are gone. And right now, Moses, I am quite regardless of whatever else you might think. If you want, it's as if God says, if you want to know who I am, then you're going to have to watch me. Watch what it is that I do, and you will know what it is that I am. Now let me show you why I put it that way. Look at verse 16, and watch how the Lord, all capital letters, connects his name to his story. Verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, now remember that's the name version of the verb I am, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what you have done 
It has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise to bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Now, the Lord connects his name to what he does, to his story, past and present and future. Look at the, look at the verses again. Past, he says, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which means I am the God who intervened and saved Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when they couldn't save themselves and when they weren't looking for me. I'm that God. I am the God of the present. Right now, I am the God who observes your suffering, not far off, but up close. I am the God who is observing you very, very closely all the time. And future, I am the God who promises to rescue you from slavery. And nothing's going to stand in my way. Not even Pharaoh. Not even the greatest superpower of your day. I am going to go to battle for you. And I am a God who does not lose my battles. Past, present, and future. The Lord connects and explains his name in terms of what it is that he does. Now, pause here for a second. Because um, this is one of the reasons why uh, Christians are so concerned with the story of God in the Bible. Um, let me point out what, what Christians don't, uh, don't do. Um, Christians are not people who uh, w think it's a good idea to, to, to go out, if you want to find out who God is, um, go out, be by yourself, uh, sit on a stone, reflect into yourself about who you think God might be um, until we get a breakthrough, a eureka moment, or something like that. Th that's what a lot of um, uh, groups do. That's, that's what some people think Christians do. But, but classical Christianity tends to think that that's a bad idea. And the reason we tend to think that that's a bad idea is this. I can, Jim can speculate all I want about God, who God might be. However, the problem is, that in all likelihood, I will get a false idea of God, and the God in my brain will very likely become little more than the imaginary projection of my highest values. I will project out my identity and my ideal vocation somehow, and I will project that out on God, and so the end product is that the, my idea of God will be little different from just a big version of me, or a big version of us. But the Lord of the Bible is different because he comes explicitly not as the imaginary projection of our highest values. He leaves all of our expectations about him behind in the dust. He's an activist God. Um, he's a God who unexpectedly breaks into Moses' life as an activist, doing something. He's a God who unexpectedly breaks into Israel's life as an activist. He's doing something. He's unexpectedly co-opts Moses' life and Israel's life with a love and a holiness and a power that both frightens and delights Israel and Moses more than they could have ever imagined. And that is why, that is why the only way to really grapple with who God really is, not just inside us but outside us, is to watch him in his story. Watch what it is that I do, says God, and you will know who it is that I am. Another way to put that, and this is, this is going to be um, troubling for some of us, and please, uh, let's talk about it afterwards. Um, 
We are never likely to meet the real God by looking within ourselves. The more we look for God within, the more obscure God will become. And the more our anxieties about our own identity and our own vocation will strengthen. We have to look outside ourselves to the story that God himself has told. And that's where we find him. Or better, that's where he finds us. Because whenever you look at the Lord of this story, what you find is that the great I am, the Lord, is always seeking after people. So he's seeking after Moses in this story. And he seeks after Israel in this story. And preeminently, skipping a lot of material, he seeks the whole world in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, many years, you know, hundreds of years later, after the Exodus, um, Jesus is speaking to a big crowd, and he says in the Gospel of John, before Abraham was, I am. And everybody goes wild because they know what he's talking about. They know he's claiming the name of God from the Old Testament and from Exodus, and so they, they just go crazy. It's, it's hopelessly arrogant, and they think he's blaspheming, which is uh, a, something that you can kill people for, so they do. They kill him. But here's the crazy thing. It was precisely as they were killing Jesus that Jesus proved himself to be the real I am. How? Well, remember, real names tell the story of the thing that they belong to. God says, you will know who I am when you watch what I do. Well, as Jesus died, in that action, he was perfecting the story of Exodus. He was completing the story of God's name. So in our reading, the Lord says he is close to the suffering of his people. And when Jesus is dying upon the cross, that is the Lord crawling right into the suffering of his people. Not looking at it from a distance, not even looking at it from up close, but getting right in the middle of it and being engulfed by it. In our reading, the Lord promises to rescue Israel from slavery, from their greatest enemy of Pharaoh. And when Jesus dies and rises again, he himself was entering into combat with death, entering into combat with our greatest enemies, with sin and with guilt and with suffering and with evil and with death and with Satan himself. In our reading, the Lord gives Moses a mission. Go tell Israel who I am, my identity, and what I'm going to do, my vocation. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he told his disciples, go out into all the nations and tell them who I am, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in particular. And then tell them what it is that I have taught them. Tell them my identity and my vocation. And that's why Christians call Jesus Lord. Real names tell you the story of the thing that they belong to. And Jesus the Lord is the story of the revolutionary God who saves. Now all that begs the question... How well do we know the Lord's name? Not just the verbal label. I mean, do you know who he is, his identity? And do you know his vocation, what it is that he has come to do for you? And I said at the beginning that all of this relates to our identity and our vocation. And that's fundamental. Because when you really know the Lord's name, when you see who he is and what he has done... 
Instead of us projecting our identity and our vocation up big and calling that God, when you really know God's name, he lends and imparts and gives his identity and his vocation to us. And that's when things become clear in our lives. Let me show you what I mean. Remember, the Lord tells his name to Moses. And when the Lord tells his name to Moses... The Lord's identity catches up Moses and brings him along. And it imparts a new vocation to him. Before Moses knows the Lord's name, he's a failed revolutionary and a forgettable shepherd, right? But then after he knows the Lord's name, he becomes the prophet of the Lord. And he gets a new identity and a new vocation. And the same thing happens for Israel. Verse 18, Moses is going to tell Israel, the Lord's name and the Lord's story, his identity and his vocation and their response. Look at verse 18. And then they will listen to your voice, Moses, and you and the elders of Israel will go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, put that in there, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now watch what that happens. The elders listen and trust the name of the Lord and all that the Lord promises to do. And the Lord's name and the Lord's story reshapes their identity and gives them a new vocation. So that previously, moments before this, they were simply groaning under the weight of Pharaoh's slavery. But now they listen to the Lord's name and they internalize the Lord's story. They trust his promise and the Lord's name reshapes their name. And the Lord's story reshapes their story. So that all of a sudden they're no longer slaves of Pharaoh. They are the people of the great I am. And they get up and they walk and they boldly go into Pharaoh and they say, The Lord, our Lord, says, let us go. And there is no way in a million years they could have ever manufactured that identity or that vocation. It would have been suicide until they knew the Lord's name. But once they hear the Lord's name and once they trust his promise, then they receive an identity that they could never achieve. Friends, this, this is the revolution beyond all the other revolutions. And this is the identity that gives us a vocation. When you really hear the Lord's name, you find that the story of his name reaches out, grabs you, and brings you into that story so that his identity and his vocation clarify your own and reframe the whole of your story. Now, Emmanuel, that's our path too. Why do we want to do Hope for New York and these other things? Lots of reasons, but mostly because it's part of our Lord's story. And if we know his name, we're in that story. And that tells us who we are and what we are to do. So friends, don't look within yourself primarily or finally to find out who you are and what you're here for. The more you go into yourself, the more fuzzy it will be. But when you know the Lord's name and when you see him and when he speaks out to you and tells you his name and what it is that he has accomplished, it will reach down into your soul and you will find that you, for, you were created to belong to this Lord. And you will know who you are and you will know why you're here and you will be at home as a person of the Lord and we as a church will be at home as the people of Yahweh, the people of the great I am. Because his name is a real name. And his name tells us 
our story. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.